Magical customer experiences don't happen by accident. They happen through careful planning and meticulous design. Kevin and Debbie have been engineering extraordinary customer experiences for over 30 years. Join us as we explore corporate culture, branding, service excellence, and much more through storytelling, technical curiosity, and friendly conversation. The Disney way for the digital age will be revealed. Well, welcome back everyone to episode five of the Disney way for the digital age. This is one of my favorite topics that kind of the meat and potatoes of all that we believe is the Disney way. So it's titled the foundations of the Disney way and how a solid service framework can shape your culture. So how you doing, Deb? Good to see you. I'm doing great as always. Nice to see you too. It was so nice to see you in person yesterday. I, yeah. I was in Orlando for the High Tech Hospitality Technology Convention. It was in your neck of the woods and we managed to get together for a breakfast. And yeah, and, and you look great in person. I'm just going to say, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, you know, all 3D and, you know, it was just really nice. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Seriously, it was nice to sit in the same room. And, it was, and it was. Up. Face but, to face. Good. Yeah. Good stuff. The show was good. Um, you know, nothing earth shattering. Honestly, some of the stuff we're doing with uh, Alexa for Hospitality and, and the chatbot work we're doing is some of the coolest stuff. There's there's some new innovations, incremental in innovations in smart room tech, you know, some climate controls and some of the stuff in the back that nobody really sees. So there's some really cool innovations in the worlds of uh, hotel reno. You know, a lot of time when they're building, they don't have the ability to wire everything they need. So they've got, you know, it's hard to get smart room going in a room. So there's some cool stuff going on there. Overall, it was, it was a great show. Um, it was so nice to see trade shows booming again. Very mm -hmm. crowded. So yeah. just good um, to get back into the thick of things. So. Anyway, big episode we have to get to. Um, what I really believe was the most impactful piece of my Disney training and something that was really transformative for my company. It's time we discuss how service excellence is structured, measured, and achieved, and how the Disney way can consistently create magical customer experiences. The Service Excellence Initiative was one of the key items that pulled Disney out of the dark years, right, Deb? So yes, yes. We mentioned service framework in passing, so we are going to dig deep today. And that's where I'm going to hand it off to Deb, who has lived it, taught it, brought it to my company about a decade ago, and just transformed a lot of businesses and honestly, a lot of lives. So take it away, Deb. All right. Thank you. So <laughs> when we talk about the service framework, uh, this is really gets to the heart of the matter when we talk about how do you deliver exceptional service and you do it again and again and again. Uh, and we will be talking about Disney's service framework. But something I want to stress is, as I preview this information to you and I give you some examples, I want you to know that what we are discussing here works for every single business. I don't care if you're a laundry. I don't care if you work from home and build websites, you know, for, for your clients. Whatever you do, you don't have to have a castle and a Mickey Mouse and, <laughs> and a three o'clock parade in order to make these things work. So, going yeah. to give you some information that I think is going to be very useful for how you build the structure that helps you deliver that exceptional service every single time over and over to your guests. And that service framework is basically comprised of three components, and it begins with your promise or your purpose statement. Now, I'm going to share the Disney framework with you, and this is information that 
Back in the day when I was hired, no one got this information except cast members. It was very much uh, internal information was taught to us when we were first hired. And it was something that helped us to understand that no matter what our role in the company, we can deliver magical experiences to our guests by following these elements of the service framework. Now, if you've been to Disney Institute programming, if you've read the book, Be Our Guest, you will have heard some of these elements of the Disney service framework before. But let's begin with the very top piece, and that is the promise statement. Your promise purpose statement, some call it, but your promise to your customers has to be the first thing that you craft. And I want to make it clear, a purpose statement is not a mission statement. A purpose statement very succinctly says, this is what we are promising our guests or promising our customers every single day when they step in to do business with us. And it's usually two or three sentences. So without further ado, I'll share with you Disney's current promise statement. And it has been the promise statement for um, almost all the years I was there for over my 34-year career. It states that we create happiness by delivering the finest in entertainment for people of all ages everywhere. Simple. Yeah. And that means that when we go out there, each and every cast member is expected to deliver on this promise statement every single day. Well, it's one thing to tell cast members you have to go out and create happiness. And it's quite another to tell them what that looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like to the guest. Because if you don't provide the details to the cast members and give them the tools that they need to be successful, everybody out there is determining what it means to create happiness. True? Right. So, and that's what... You know, and that can be dangerous to your business bottom line, first of all. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, and a great example is one of our, you know, large electronic clients uh, that we worked with, Global. Mm-hmm. And they had this initiative called I'll, I'll just blurt it out, the CX magic, right? They wanted mm-hmm. their customers to create um, <laughs> great customer experiences. Never told them how. So right. like different every way. So what I love is a purpose statement, and I'll share what we came up with uh, after the, uh, through the process for Big Buzz. But um, I love, number one, that it has a different name than mission statement. I think people have been um, conditioned to kind of believe that a mission statement is something that hangs up on the wall. I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. And this purpose statement really is my purpose. I'm showing up today. What am I doing? And I think you said, if folks can't remember the whole thing, right. they, should, they have to remember we create happiness. All right. Yes. Right. You got to remember that or you should just stay home. And, you know, <laughs> I think that idea that this is my purpose when I step foot at work. Um, so Big Buzz was we create loyal customers for life by delivering exciting and innovative marketing solutions to companies seeking competitive advantage. So what are we doing? Who are we doing it for and how are we doing it? That's so right. I, it is such a powerful tool. And this idea mm-hmm. that the rest of what Deb's going to explain here is, is telling people how this gets done, right? Not just right. leaving it up to them. 
Yeah, that's the that's the key right there is you've got to provide the support and the backup and the tools. The the last thing I want to say about a purpose statement is uh, and in fact, all of your service framework tools may change over time, depending on how your business changes. So when I first started uh, at Disney, when I was barely 17, the purpose statement was actually we create happiness by delivering the finest in family entertainment. Mm. And it was based on the concept that Walt had started in Disneyland in 1955. And if you remember the the entrance sign that used to say the happiest place on earth. Right. So it was built from that. What happened was as as Walt Disney World in particular grew and grew and grew and added water parks and Pleasure Island for adult entertainment and amazing shopping experiences, we noticed that there were times when attendance just seemed to be slowly dropping off. Disney doing what they usually do, getting on the phones back in those days and making many, many calls to various zip codes and talking to people all across the United States and ask them, have you ever been to Walt Disney World? If they said no, they were asked why. And the recurring answer was, well, we don't have kids and Disney's just for kids. So the company realized that they had not done a great job of letting guests know that, yes, we've always been a family entertainment company, but now there is so much more. And yeah. we wanted to attract those honeymoon couples and individual <laughs> grownups who felt like I can't go to Disney without a kid, you know, right. and uh, and have a good time. So that's when the promise statement became what it is today. We create happiness by delivering the finest in entertainment for people of all ages everywhere. Brilliant when you think about it. Right. But st- the same rule applied. We would tell cast members, and I used to teach resorts traditions classes where we previewed this information is in their orientation. And we used to tell them, we don't expect you to memorize that whole thing. If you can just remember that you create happiness every day when you get out of bed and come to work, you create happiness, you'll make magical experiences for the guests. And we're going to show you how to do that. So the support for that purpose statement are two elements, service standards and standards of behavior. Service standards are usually three to five words. And I have helped many companies to develop not only their promise statement, but their service standards that apply to them. Disney's are, in this order, safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency. They are very specifically in priority order for a very specific reason. If you consider that a Disney cast member may come in contact with a thousand guests a day, every time a guest has a question, every time a guest has a problem, it's not practical and it's not magical to tell the, the guest, hang on, let me go get my manager. And we've all been in those positions where employees can't seem to answer the most basic questions on their own. They have to go get a manager. And it's frustrating. So safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency gives the cast members the guideline to say safety is number one. It trumps everything. Courtesy comes in second. Show, the show being not just the attraction, the ride, the cleanliness of the theme park, but also how do our cast members look? How do they behave? All of those things are woven into the show. And then efficiency. You know, how efficient are we at everything that we do for our our guests? So a cast member, for example, 
can be, uh, and I'll give you a quick story. Um, I had a guest at Disney Institute that they went to play in the park the night after our class. The next morning, we always ask them, well, what types of experiences did you have? Sure, yeah. You remember that, right, Kevin? Yeah, I do, yeah. And we put on our thick skin and we were willing to hear if they <laughs> didn't have such a magical experience. And and one woman raised her hand. And she said, I saw something very un-Disney. And I said, well, what was that? She said there were some people waiting to see the parade. The place was really packed along the curb and the parade was coming down Main Street. It just kind of rounded the corner by the castle. And one little girl was very excited, you know, maybe three or four. She kept running out to the street to see the floats coming. The cast member who was on parade crowd control at that place kept taking the child back to the parents saying, for her safety, it's really important that you keep her with you on the curb. They don't see well out of those floats, and we have to be sure she's safe. Parents did not listen. The little girl kept running out into the road. About the third time, apparently, the young man took her back. He was very blunt. He said, this is not an option. She has to stay on the curb. And after that, the parents said, oh, well, he really means it and kept her on the curb. And the woman said, that was very un-Disney. He was almost rude. And I said, well, I have to tell you, that was very Disney. Yeah. Right. I said, safety is number one. If we have to sacrifice some courtesy to keep a guest safe, that's exactly what we will do within boundaries, yeah. of course. Right. So this is how cast members use safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency to make great decisions about how to take care of the guests, answer the guest questions, you know, do what they need to do for the guests to have a, a magical experience. I think the most famous story, if you've been to a Disney Institute uh, program, is the Haunted Mansion story. And I, I had the amazing opportunity to help out at the Haunted Mansion during a, a spring break season one year. They used to farm us out to help out, you know, <laughs> in, in the operations areas. Uh, absolutely a blast. But the story is this, and it's a very and it's a very real story. You might go on the Haunted Mansion and they it suddenly stops and you think, oh, great, the ride's broken down. I'm here in the graveyard. My little kid's screaming his head off and the ride is broken down. More than likely, 90% of the time, that is a deliberate stop. And here's what happens. Because safety is number one, these cast members are loading, loading, loading. They all have what's called a theoretical hourly capacity. So many guests an hour should be loaded onto Haunted Mansion in order to keep the lines moving, to keep guests out of the heat, off the street as much as possible. So all attractions have a theoretical hourly capacity and the cast members know what that number is. So they're trying to politely load, 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 load. A gentleman comes up who's using crutches. There's no way he's going to negotiate that moving belt safely. Right. So that young lady or young gentleman can be as young as 17 years old. She has a little device on her belt. She can stop the belt. She doesn't have to ask permission. She doesn't have to ask anyone because this man is going to need assistance getting on the ride safely. And he can't do it on the moving belt. So she stops the ride. They get the man safely and quickly as possible into his seat and start the ride again. And she has complete authority to do that because she knows safety is number one. Right. And she sacrifices courtesy. She sacrifices the show for those guests on the attraction Stuck already. Stuck in the middle of this reaction. Uh, and she sacrifices efficiency because if you have to do that too many times, you're not going to make theoretical hourly capacity, right? Right. But she, there, is, there are no repercussions because she's using her service standards to make 
very specifically um, good decisions for the guest. Good and independent decisions. Good and independent decisions. She's empowered. She is very empowered. And you know yourself, that's not my favorite word. I like to say enabled because when we provide the tools for our employees to do what they need to do and know that if they make a mistake or a wrong decision, coaching may be in order, but it isn't always an opportunity to reprimand or fire someone. So they feel enabled with with all the training that they get to make those decisions, not to say that they never make a, a mistake. Sure. So, and then we won't go into the definitions, but each one of these, which is a common word, but it's defined for Disney, for our operation. So safety has a specific definition attached to it for Disney, courtesy does, and so forth. A lot of those definitions are then built into the standards of behaviors, the actions that cast members take. Now, I just want to reiterate that service standards support the promise statement. The promise statement has to align with your culture. Right. The standards of behaviors support the service standards, which support the promise statement, which aligns with your culture. It's kind of <laughs> like the, the there was a tree and had a root and a hole and a hole in the ground, right? Kind of thing. The but standards really of works. behavior. <laughs> yeah, it works. It does it work. It works. So the standards of behavior um, are related to each service standard. And now I'm giving you the, the original basics. Over the years, they have uh, updated these things. They've called they've been called keys to excellence, different things. But right. the, the most basic service framework are these things that you can use in your business. So a standard of behavior, for example, if I am delivering on courtesy, what am I doing? How am I behaving? I'm not leaning on a trash can or a post. I am not talking to my fellow cast members next to me and ignoring the guest. I am making eye contact. I'm smiling. I'm greeting and welcoming every guest. Those are just some of the bullet points that represent standards of behavior when I'm delivering on courtesy. When I'm delivering on safety, there are standards of behaviors for what what I'm doing. I am looking for things that might be an unsafe condition, such as a rain mat that is curled up on the corner at an entrance to a hotel where a guest might trip on the way in. Right. I pick up trash as part of the show. Everybody picks up trash. When Michael Eisner was CEO, I'd watch him walk down Main Street and pick up trash. I watched Bob Iger pick up trash. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to watch JPEG pick up trash yet, but someday, maybe, you know. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. But everybody maintains the show. So all of these standards of behavior clearly describe when I am delivering on one of our service standards, what am I doing? What are my actions? What's expected of me regarding my actions? So what are those behaviors? These three elements are called the service framework. One supports the next, supports the next, and aligns with your culture. This type of a service framework, while it takes time and it's hard work, but once it's in place, it is probably a miracle tool for ensuring that your employees know exactly what's expected of them. And they work because they're teachable, they're accountable. 
I could, as a leader, walk down Main Street and see a person leaning on a trash can. Yeah. Does it matter if they're my employee or not? I should walk over and without embarrassing them, say, are you supposed to be leaning on the trash can? If I saw someone with inappropriate grooming, which I have done even when I was at Disneyland in California, I would pull that cast member aside and say something about uh, you're not really supposed to have electric blue eyeshadow all over your eyes. OK, <laughs> um, so because it's it, you can hold people accountable and you train it that you you preview it in the traditions and orientation program. It's included in their company training. It's included in their location training. And then it is reiterated throughout their careers. And I think it, it's it's a testament to um, the longevity of the tenure of employees. I think you told me yesterday, we were, we were chatting and you said uh, it's about 23 years average. Uh, yeah, the average tenure is about 23 years for Disney cast members. Yeah. That's just amazing. And I think, you know, people want structure, right? That's yes. so when when we we did this at Big Buzz, um, you know, we had some growth and we had some chaos. And thankfully I had the, the feedback channels that let mm -hmm. folks let me know that they're flailing about a bit and feeling uneasy and unsure mm -hmm. about our future and what they should be doing specifically, you know. Um, the idea that you show up at work on a given day and you get told that day what you're doing is very unsettling. So this structure for us, it made it very clear what you're doing, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, I'll share our, you know, our service standards yeah. were, were simple. It was service, which I'll come back to why we chose that service, creativity, execution, and fun. And I think I, you know, I, I wanted to remind our team that we were in the service business. Yes, we made um, great graphics and pictures and websites and logos and TV commercials, but a lot of people do that. We were really selling service. People liked to work with us. Yes, we had innovative thinkers, um, but people like to work with people that they like, <laughs> that mm -hmm. are nice. So, you know, I wanted to remind everybody that we're in, first in the service business. Um, yeah. And then embracing creativity, this idea of execution, um, the, the ability for us to turn things around fast. Our business was very high speed and demanding very often. So um, I wanted to, to recognize that and give people uh, some structure around that. And then fun. You know, we always said, have fun, make money. Let's see if we can do this every day and have a little fun while we're doing it. So, yeah, yeah it's really important to this. This structure helps your team to feel, number one, they're on a boat that has a very specific direction, right? Or, or a bus, as we said before. Yeah, <laughs> understand okay. where we're going. And I understand what I'm doing today, this week, next week. I think it's so important. And that back to that example, that company that just told folks to go give good service, mm -hmm. it, it, it just doesn't work, you know. Somebody thinks it means being nice. Some people think think it means doing work fast. You know. Yes. Again, you're leaving your culture up to something that happens. This is a very deliberate design of yeah. your culture, and then you know, of course, you've now designed the desired customer experience. Yeah, and and I think that key that's key word is design. Nothing left to chance. Design no. it, train it, teach it hold people accountable for it. And most importantly, if you're in a leadership position, you have to role model it. This is not oh, right. something that's just for your frontline employees. And the other thing I just wanted to say, we relate this a lot to guest experience, but the fact is that this works internally as well. 
Sure. So to your point, Kevin, one of your your um, service standards is fun. Have you know, have fun. Employees that are having fun at work are more likely to give great service to your customers, your external customers. Absolutely. Um, when I was customer service manager at Disney's Laundry, uh, all of these things applied. We, we kept one another safe. We looked out for unsafe conditions for one another. Maintenance made sure that they were thoroughly trained on lockout, tagout, and the emergency stops for the machines. And um but courtesy to one another and respect for one another was just as important as courtesy and respect for the external guests and the show, keeping our areas clean so that, you know, I had drivers that the one of the biggest complaints that they had was, oh, this guy eats in the truck and then he leaves all this food in the truck and we have bugs and all of this. Um, that's not delivering on the show for the driver that has to drive that truck next. And yeah. bad show, you know, as you call it. Bad show. Ab- absolutely. It's bad show. So all of these things apply to companies that have internal service requirements as well. And I think sometimes people think, well, that's great, but we don't ever see our customers face to face. It, it doesn't matter. These these things yeah. are important to all. Disney used to have a saying that said that kind of encompassed this concept. And they would say, we treat one another the way we treat our guests. Oh. And that encompassed the service standards and behaviors. And um, cr- let's create happiness for one another as well. You know, absolutely. And I, what what else I love about all the aspects of this uh, I will call initiative because it's not a program. We'll talk about why you want to make sure we don't call it a program. That's right. Um, is that's a win-win. Mm-hmm. So typically anything that you do as a part of this structuring um, is to create that better uh, customer experience, to develop a culture, but it ultimately improves the lives of your employees and your team. Yes. And and yours, manager, your the founder, whoever... The whole culture um, really thrives and uh, it's a win-win. You know, a lot of people think about life and, and businesses, zero-sum game, you know. Well, if, if, if they're winning, then I'm losing. It's like, well, no, no, we can we can have our team win and, and everybody can be happy and they'll make our customers happy. And yes, um, again, that that is very evident in a 23-year average tenure, which is unheard of. The, you know, the... The idea is um, you you talk about cast members doing this and doing it consistently. And for the most part, all of them do it really, really well. And um, but I also have to say, and we won't be talking a lot about this, but it really begins with right fit hiring. Right. Because there are people who will not do this. And if you've ever seen Disney's billboards or hear radio ads, when when they're advertising for help, they use language that is very much linked to the culture. So mm. I, I saw a billboard a few years ago that says, would you like to make magic and make new friends? And it showed pictures <laughs> of Disney name tags with names on them, which is very much part of the culture, right? right. And there'll be somebody driving along the highway going, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. I'm not going to 
make magic. I'm a plumber, right? I, I want a job at the hotel as a plumber. I'm not going to make magic. Um, I'd beg to differ. I think plumbers can absolutely make magic, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> we won't get into that. Um, so this concept of recruiting for your culture and then hiring right fit and using these standards and behaviors and promise statement built into your hiring questions is in the form of active situational behavioral-based questioning will tell you if that person is really going to go out there and make magic every day for your guests. Right. So it really be, it really begins there. But once you've got the right people on board, and you and I both have known companies that are hiring the right people for the company, but they lose them or they don't yeah. do the job you expect because you're not giving them the tools. Yep. And that doesn't serve anyone well. I am a firm believer that most people want to do a good job. Right. They don't, you know, you've heard that old thing. I, they don't get up in the morning and say, I'm going to work today and do a crappy job because that's <laughs> just who I am. Not many people do that. Right. Um, but if you don't give them the tools to to deliver exceptional service, that's exactly what's going to happen. And that's the power of this service framework. One of the things that Kevin and I have been talking about, and this is we're going to get into in the next episode a bit, is where does technology fit into this service framework? Right. And should it be a fourth component or does it fit into the service standards somehow or into the promise statement? I don't know, but it's an important piece. Yeah. And the wonderful thing is that if you, if you look us up, chatbots and pixie dust, right? You can look up chatbots and pixie dust South by Southwest. Yeah. And you'll find that that's one of the earliest things that Deb and I had done, or not really, but uh, we talked about this idea how you can take this service framework and this idea of infusing a chatbot and the conversation design that you create with this structure. And it works. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll tell people a lot of times, oh, one of the things I do is, you know, we, we do conversation design for chatbots and create customer experiences through, you know, AI and chat and voice. And they said, well, that's so impersonal. And you know what? Chatbots suck. And, I, and I, my reaction is, you're not wrong. About 90% of them do suck because they're d designed terribly. Mm. And people thought that the uh, the solution was the technology. No, the solution is, uh, the, the technology is the, the medium. As with anything else, right? TV is a great medium, but what you put on it is what matters. So there's right. bad TV shows and there's good TV shows. Sure. There's a lot of bad chatbots that create terrible experiences and there's a lot of great ones. So yeah, we've employed this idea when we create um, chatbots and voice experiences that we absolutely employ mm. this uh, service framework. You know, the, the last thing I'll say about the service framework, and it, it aligns with designing chatbots as much as it does working with your employees, and that is nothing is a magic wand, not a service right. framework. Now, you could spend six months designing uh, your service framework and training it to your employees, but it is likely to fail if certain things don't happen. And that is if you're not hiring right fit people, if your leaders are not role modeling every element of the service framework, and if people are not held accountable. If I'm a leader and I walk by an employee who is not delivering on the appropriate behavior, mm -hmm, right. and I don't do anything about it, I'm sending a clear message that none of this service framework is really important. Uh, so I, I always like to say, you know, I, I'm never promised that if you just 
design your service framework, all will be golden for you. Life is going to be a piece of cake, <laughs> but it has to be managed like anything else. So I, I do like to kind of, I don't know if you call that a disclaimer or what yeah, you call it, yeah. but but it, it doesn't absolve leadership of, of doing their job. You don't just put this out there and leaders go, okay, got that done now. No. I can stay in my office and do my work all day, right? That it doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. yeah. And it's such an important piece of the business and it, it yeah. it's, it's a long process, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. We can conduct, you know, we've been in and out in a week, you know, to conduct the initial interviews and create a structure, but then we typically help folks roll it out over a year, stay on sometimes, you know, for multi-years of consulting to, to help make sure it sticks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not easy, but you know, um, yep. if it was easy. Everybody would do it. That's right. It's the hard that makes it great. <laughs> As from the great line from uh, League of Their Own. League of Their Own, yeah. yeah. It's got too hard. It's the hard that makes it great. That's right. So, <laughs> yeah, so uh, we are getting out of time. Um, oh, I did want already? to mention and tease. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Goes so fast, especially with with these topics that I love so much. Yes. Um, traditions is something I always want to tease, you know, that yeah. talk about right fit hiring. And then the traditions is the the Disney onboarding system, which is kind of between that we we. We um, expose you to what we're looking for very specifically. And then as you come in, this traditions program tells you what you're what you're in store for and what we expect of you. Right. So uh, that's something we'll talk about in the future. I think we got to give give the folks some some of our best advice. Oh, yes. And then yeah. tell them what's on next week. So look, simply this, you know, not going to hard sell this. Uh, there are gr- a lot of great systems, right? I think uh, the greatest piece of advice you'll ever get, we think, this week. <laughs> is work, work work a system. You know, we think this is a great system. Um, you know, the service framework obviously has done, created magic for Disney and, and, and hundreds of thousands and millions of guests. Um, but there are other systems. You know, I've, I've worked um, Traction and EOS. It's a wonderful structure for companies. You know, I think that you, you can't just show up every day uh, and I'm talking to the leaders, right? You can't just show up day and say, let's see how it goes. I, I think we're going to do this. You really need to work a system mm-hmm. if you want to grow and and uh, avoid as much of that chaos as possible. So, you know, reach out to us. We're available for free advice. Of course, we're also available for paid consulting. <laughs> but yeah, please reach out with questions. We're happy to answer that. Yeah. Um, go to uh, DisneyWayDigital.com. We're going to post up the service framework, how to create a purpose statement, how to structure your service standards, how to structure your standards of behavior. That will all be up on DisneyWayDigital.com. So, Next week, uh, tune in. We're going to talk about understanding your digital ecosystem and uh, the touch points that support it. So we're excited about that one. Um, please do tune in. Deb, thanks so much for sharing this. I, I love listening. <laughs> I can go through this over and over and over. You can ask me anytime to talk about these topics. This is so much fun. <laughs> well, great. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Disney Way for the Digital Age. Our producer and engineer is Stephen Byram, show coordinator Taryn Pre-Trahan, and voiceover by Cindy Clifford. Kevin and Debbie can be reached for free advice or paid consulting at Kevin at DisneyWayDigital.com or Debbie at DisneyWayDigital.com. A new episode is released each Tuesday morning. We hope you continue to listen. 